All right, hey, Cornerstone family and all those watching uh, this video around the globe, we appreciate you inviting us into your living room or your bathroom, whatever your viewing present, uh, preference is. Um, I'll tell you a story. I grew up in Southern California, and I used to hang out at the beach all the time as a teenager, mostly around the Santa Monica area, but there's one beach just a little bit north of there, closer to Malibu, where you can walk around a cliff, and you end up in a very secluded cove. And I went there with some friends early one summer evening. We lit a bonfire after dark. We roasted some marshmallows. We did some night boogie boarding. You haven't lived until you've body surfed in the dark. And then we stayed there, I'm going to guess, till around 10 p.m. And when we got back to the parking lot, we were surprised to discover that my car was the only car in the parking lot. And surprise turned to shock when we found out that the parking lot had closed two hours earlier and there's this heavy metal chain around the entrance making it impossible for us to leave. And trust me when I tell you that we tried everything possible to get out of that parking lot and I'll just leave it at that, okay? It was a total lockdown and it felt very strange to be trapped like that with absolutely no way out and with no idea about how or when we were going to get out. Don't you feel that way a little bit about COVID-19? I mean, it sure feels that way to me. We've been um, in lockdown now for, what, several months? And I feel trapped with no way out of this. You know, that's, that's how it feels a lot of the time. And not sure how or when we're going to get out. And here in Colorado, we have been... Uh, it's been like with most states where we started with phase one called stay at home. We've progressed now to phase two, safer at home. And we're hoping to get to phase three soon, which is protect our neighbor. But even phase three really doesn't get us out of a lockdown and back to normal. Because until there's a vaccine or until there's a treatment, we're all going to need to remain sheltered to some degree. Well, today we're starting a new eight-week series called Sheltered, and each week we're going to look at a person in the Bible who was locked down or who was shuttered by God for a season in their life. And we're going to see how that sheltered season of life changed and prepared each person to do something great later on. People like Moses who was sheltered in the wilderness for 40 years, ultimately preparing him to free the Jewish people out of slavery in Egypt. Like Jonah, who was sheltered in the belly of a fish, a giant fish for three days, ultimately preparing him to lead one of the greatest revivals in history. Naomi, who was sheltered in a foreign land for 10 years, ultimately leading, bringing back Ruth, her daughter-in-law, uh, to Bethlehem to give birth to a lineage that would lead to King David, and ultimately to the Messiah. Rabbi Saul, who was sheltered in the Arabian desert for three years after meeting Jesus, ultimately leading to the formation of the largest faith movement on earth, and several more. We may not know how or when this COVID-19 sheltering will end, but as we look at all of these incredible sheltering stories over the next eight weeks, we can have the confidence and we can be encouraged that God will do something similar when he is sheltering us. Here at Cornerstone, transformation is one of our 
core nine elements, and all of our nine elements drive everything that we do here. Transformation, though, is the value that we have to become a better version of ourselves tomorrow and next month and next year and so on and so on than we are today. One of my favorite passages on this subject of transformation in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15, verse 51 through 52. Here's what it says. It says, listen... I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash. I like, by the way, we call this the nursery passage, right? We won't all sleep, but we'll all be changed. Get it? The church nursery passage. All right. Um, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And so this passage is basically saying that at the end of this age, we will be instantly transformed into the kind of ultimate person God created us to be. In the twinkling of an eye, so it's really rapid, really fast, we will be set free from all the negative effects of our fallen world, from all the hurts and the disappointments uh, and pain of this life, all the shortcomings and, and failures that hinder human flourishing. And we will finally love God and we will love ourselves and we will love others the way God intended it to be from the beginning of time. But until that final instantaneous transformational moment arrives, we are continually reminded by God in the scriptures to remain open and to live intentionally and to get as far down that transformation road in our lifetime as possible. It's a journey that will only end when we, Messiah Jesus returns. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about many heroes of the faith who have gone before us to do this very thing. Men and women alike who did everything within their human power to become the best versions of themselves all the way to the finish line. And verse 1 starts out by saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a, a great cloud of witnesses, in, since all these people have gone before us, let us, meaning like them, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You and I have a race to run. A unique course mapped out by God, but we also have hurdles that get in our way, obstacles that need to be cast aside. Removing those obstacles and running unhindered is what the transformation process is all about. But here's the challenge, and please listen to this, okay? This is really important. Seasons of prosperity and comfort bring very little transformation into our lives. Because during these seasons, there's little motivation for us to change. It's a tough concept to embrace because we all enjoy seasons of prosperity and comfort. They feel good. And we don't like it when those seasons are removed from us. But listen to this. The best friend of transformation are seasons of challenge and pain and suffering. Transformation primarily takes place during times of sheltering. I'm not particularly fond of this concept, but it's absolutely true. Here's what the Bible has to say about this. First James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy. How about this? My brothers and sisters, whenever you, f you face trials of many kinds, 
Because you know, and here's why, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything, meaning not lacking in character. Romans 5, uh, 3 through 4 says, We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance leads to character. Character leads to hope. And finally, 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 through 7 says, You know, now for a little while you may have had all had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, but these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's talking about this refiner's fire that's used to purify gold. You put the gold in the fire and all the impurities, all the dross melts away. That's what trials does in our life. Now, I grew up in a fairly prosperous and comfortable, comfortable middle-class home uh, in Southern California, and my life was pretty free from any serious sheltering seasons for quite a long time. Um, and I met Andrea when we were both still teenagers. We got married. Uh, she was only 19, and I was only 21. So we were very much like kids. Still, we're still kids Back then, and so when our, our children, Lisa and Michael, came into our lives, now we're like kids raising kids. Not a great formula for success. And our, our relationship began to crash almost immediately. And in our seventh year of marriage, we separated from each other for about a year. It was my first difficult sheltering season, and it was extremely challenging, and it was horribly painful. A few weeks ago, I shared how my family sued me when I left the family business, which led to, to my second difficult sheltering season. But it's during that season that Andrew and I met Jesus. When our daughter Lisa uh, was 16 years old, she was diagnosed with a very serious mental illness that turned her and her world upside down and our world upside down for many years to follow. This season was so painful that it took our faith to the very edge. And it was really hard. When I came out here to Boulder in 1994 to launch Cornerstone with a group of about 50 people, the first five years was filled with intense struggle and conflict. There were some people, but especially the leaders who hired me, the ones who called me to come out here, that just didn't like me. And they made my life miserable, absolutely miserable during this time. And then after our granddaughter experienced some serious trauma in her life at, the, at around the age of 12, she began to act out like many children do when they're, when they're traumatized. And we took her into our home at the age of 16 because she was getting into trouble. She was, just, she was just having a lot of struggle. And that led to another very challenging and painful two-year sheltering season in our lives. None of these sheltering seasons were pleasant by any means. The discomfort was painful and often paralyzing. But the truth is that God used these seasons to transform Andrea and I into a version of ourselves that we could have never imagined or accomplished during seasons of prosperity and comfort. Most of the qualities that you all like about Andrea and me came as a result of these sheltering seasons. Cornerstone 
Cornerstone morphed into the very unique church that it's become as a result of these sheltering seasons in our lives. And I know that many of you could, could come up right here and stand before the camera and share your own personal transformation stories that came as a result of your di difficult sheltering seasons. And I also know that many of you are going through one of those difficult and painful sheltering seasons right now, and not just because of COVID-19. Well, in the same chapter on the heroes of faith, the author says in Hebrews 12, 7, it starts out like this. Listen to this. Endure hardship, endure seasons, sheltering, painful sheltering seasons as discipline. Make the connection that these difficult seasons are a form of discipline from God. And it goes on to say, why? Because God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? In verse 11, it goes on to say that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but very painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now listen, don't confuse discipline here with punishment, all right? Good parents don't punish their children. They discipline their children. Discipline is not about punishment. It's about correction. And oh, how I wish I knew about this concept when I was a young parent because it would have saved my children from a lot of damage to their souls. Our prisons can learn something from this important concept because even though we call them correctional facilities, they're mostly about punishment, not correction. And they do little, if anything, to provide any meaningful, positive transformation. Only negative, uh, they negatively transform people who who committed soft crimes into hardened criminals over a period of time. This is a huge subject in the discussion on race these days. When God disciplines us, as painful as it might feel, it's about correction, not punishment. Consider hardship as discipline. Or another way of saying this is consider hardship as transformation. They are seasons of transformation. We chose the word sheltered for this series because as painful as those difficult seasons can be, we still remain under the sheltering wings of God during these times. Or as the psalmist said in, in Psalm 23, 4, just one place of dozens where he says something similar, even though I walk through the darkest valleys, man, I mean, the metaphor here is a really dark, painful, scary time. It says, I will fear no evil for God, you are with me, your rod and your staff, they actually bring comfort to me. I wish it wasn't true that real and lasting transformation comes through difficult seasons of sheltering. I really do. But that's the way God set up the universe. But what I really can appreciate about this, particularly as I have said so many times in the past, God never asks us to do or to go through something that he did, didn't do or go through first. And because of this incredible truth, God came to earth as a man named Jesus to go through his own difficult 
sheltering season. The prophet Isaiah foretold this event. And speaking of the promised Messiah, you can read in Isaiah 7.14 how he would be born of a virgin and called Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel literally means God with us. In Isaiah chapter 9, it records the details of his birth. And it says, for unto us a child is born and a son is given. And he will be called, and listen to these names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, El Gibor, everlasting father, prince of peace. So this is a special child, right? And then when you get all the way to Isaiah 53, um, it describes the kind of life that he would experience as a grown-up, as an adult. Let me read to you the first seven verses of Isaiah 53 and see if you can agree that whoever this person is describing is destined to experience a very challenging, sheltered season of life. It says, and I love the way it starts out, who has believed our message? It's another way of saying this is, you're not going to believe this, right? You're not going to believe this about this baby that was born, uh, prophesied in uh, Isaiah 7. He was birthed in Isaiah 9. You're not going to believe it because he's, he's all grown up now. And it says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. And he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. But listen, he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Now it's talking about the atonement he's going to make, right? Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, listen to this, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This is an amazing passage. It wasn't until Jesus was 30 years old that he came out, so to speak, and proclaimed himself as the promised Messiah. And although he gained thousands of Jewish followers during that time, those three years of his life were filled with challenges to his Messiahship, verbal assaults against him, threats and even attempts on his life by many of the Jewish leaders of his day who felt threatened by him, all climaxing with the Romans brutally crucifying Jesus on a cross. Isaiah was spot on when he said that the Messiah would be a man of sorrows, familiar with pain and suffering. That's exactly what he was. But listen to this. And I want you to contemplate on it for just a few minutes because there's something deep and profound to gain, I believe, from what I'm about to say. Listen to this. Hebrews 5.8 says that Jesus learned, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. Did you hear that? Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. 
Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest. He's referring here to Jesus. One of the titles that Jesus has being the high priest. Who is unable. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Now tempted is not the best English word to use in this sentence. The Greek word here often means to try or to test in the form of testing, uh, to prove or to improve someone's character. And when used this way, it was often God doing the testing. Kind of like the refiner's fire passage we read earlier from 1 Peter, where the testing or the refining was hardship that led to a stronger faith or to an improved character. So what exactly are these passages saying to us? Well, Jesus is God in a bod, isn't he? I mean, that's what we believe. Jesus Jesus is God incarnate. So God, did God, I'm just going to ask this question. Did God want to learn something that he didn't know from this difficult season of sheltering that Jesus experienced here on earth? Well, you might disagree with me, and that's perfectly okay. But I believe that this is at least one of the reasons why God came to earth. I'll tell you the second reason in just a bit. But first, listen to this. When you count up God the Father plus God the Son, so God the Father, one, God the Son, two, plus God the Spirit, three, how many gods does that add up to? One. When we talk about the Trinity, one plus one plus one doesn't equal three, it equals one. There is only one God, not three gods. And we know this from Deuteronomy 6.4. It's called the Shema, very important uh, to the Jewish world. Um, And it should be important to us as well. And here's what it says in Hebrew. Shema Israel, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And so the intimate connection between these three distinct forms of God found throughout the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament, we see all three forms throughout the entire Bible, is somewhat of a mystery to us, and it's meant to be that way. But at the end of the day, there's only one God, not three gods. And so whatever God the Son experienced and learned as a human, God the Father also experienced and learned as a non-human. Which I believe is absolutely beautiful and powerful at the same time. Because if God is teachable, shouldn't we be teachable? God never asks us to do or go through anything that he doesn't do first. That's at least one of the reasons why he came to earth. The second reason, and the most important reason, is to liberate us. Jesus died on that cross. And he died to atone for our sins. That's exactly what Isaiah 53 was talking about. He bore our sins. The iniquity um, that was upon us was handed off to him. And then he was sheltered in that grave for three long days. But he didn't stay there, did he? On the third day, Jesus rose victorious 
from the death. And he conquered death in this way. Death could not hold him. The veil tore before him, not only setting us free from the eternal consequences of sin, but knocking down the biggest hurdle in our path to transformation before he returns to make that final transformation in the twinkling of an eye. That biggest hurdle is our eternal security and destiny. Your faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross secures your eternal destiny forever and there's no one and there's nothing that can take it away from you. And because of this monstrous truth, I mean, it's a mega truth, we can now be fearless and we can even be ruthless. We should be ruthless in knocking down all those other smaller roadblocks in our lives, especially during those difficult, sheltering seasons of life, including right now COVID-19 that is keeping the entire world, there's been nothing like it, the entire world sheltered for only God knows how long. I mean, get out there. And, and kick their roadblock butts to the ground so that you can run with perseverance and endurance the race that God has marked out for you. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9.24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one person gets the prize? I'll stop right there, okay? I know this doesn't make sense to all the millennials out there, but in a real competition, only one person wins the prize, not everyone. And since there's only one winner in a real competition, Paul says, run in such a way to win. Run in such a way as to get the prize. In other words, be a champion for God when it comes to your own transformation, Jesus won the race when he rose victorious from the grave. Run like Jesus. I'm handing out HWJR bracelets after the service. How would Jesus run? Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that you always go before us, always. So many, so many times I've mentioned this in messages that you did this first before you asked us to do it. And it's no different here. You left the comfort of heaven. I mean, it was a comfort, a comforting and prosperous place. You left it to intentionally come here where it would be a challenge, it would be difficult, where there would be pain and suffering. And it's through that suffering that you learned obedience. It's through that suffering that we can embrace the seasons, this challenging, sheltering seasons in our life, knowing that as a loving father, your intent is for us to move down the path. And so we pray that even during this, this COVID season and, and all the challenges that come with this that are related to COVID or not related to COVID, God, 
that we would sense your presence, that we would sense your work in our lives, Lord, and we would be open and we'd be intentional to allowing you to lead us into a better version of ourselves. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.